I'll just read the first, uh, the preamble, the preface to the Ten Commandments, and then Commandment 1 and 2. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a, ze- a, ze- am a jealous God, visiting the, inu- uh, the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of them who love me and keep my commandments. That's why I'm reading God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as you have uttered these very words yourself in your voice from heaven, and you yourself have written these very words with your finger upon stone tablets, delivering them to your servant Moses, we pray that we would regard this scripture as very important to you, and so therefore, Lord, highly to be respected and regarded by us. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, not only just uh, to understand your teaching, but why we need these commandments and also how to apply them in our lives. We pray that we would be faithful. We pray that in doing so, we might extol the, the glories of our God and the excellencies of you, Lord Father, who are spirit and must be worshiped in spirit and truth. Help us, Lord. Uh, in this hour as we examine your, your Bible and as we meet you, Lord, at the table. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I, I'm planning on covering the second commandment in two parts, and, uh, and I will probably do the same with the fourth commandment, simply because I'm convinced the old theologians had it correct when they said that the commandments that are shortly uh, narrated to us, such as thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, pretty plain. But those commandments that have more words attached to them, such as the one I just read, the second commandment, and the fourth uh, pertaining to the Sabbath, are, are given extra space and extra words, uh, not just to fill up some, uh, you know, the white space on, on the two tablets, uh, but uh, because we need help with those two commandments. These two commandments of the first table are very, very commonly broken, um, as is the tenth commandment, not to covet, which has much, many, many more words applied to them. Uh, the tenth commandment will also uh, receive a, a greater treatment, uh, probably two Sundays, simply because uh, people are not aware uh, of, of their own covetousness, which, by the way, relates back to the first table covetousness is, is idolatry. Uh, but So I, I, I'm going to pace myself at a pretty good pace here. If I finish my outline here, fine, but I, may, I am going to stop right about on the hour uh, to have space for the, the Lord's Supper. I want to say by context, having read the preface, which the Lord gives us a good example, I mean a good reasons why we should listen, why we should keep the commandments, because He's God. And not only is He God, uh, who's uh, the creator, and we, we owe him good, good uh, worship and a good audience, but he's our God, 
Uh, therefore, we say that this, you are the most precious. You are, you are the best that we have. Uh, our, you have all our hearts longing. And uh, that uh, since he is uh, our redeemer, that he has a propriety in us. That is to say, it cost him something that we should be his. And uh, as our redeemer, then he is our Lord. And uh, I think the best way to explain it is that we are a spouse to him. Uh, we're, we're his servants in that regard too. Uh, slaves, you might even say. But we are a spouse to him as a wife is to uh, her, her, uh, her husband. The second commandment is in the first table of the moral law. And I mentioned that the moral law has something to do with uh, not the will of God nakedly, but the essence of God's uprightness, something about his righteousness, something about his goodness. And that is in distinction from positive law, which we'll, we'll be taking up uh, sooner or later, because all of the ceremonial law and the civil law have a tinge of the moral to them, but uh, really they are positive law. Now, the first commandment, as we saw, that you shall have no other gods before me, is stated negatively. Um, we are to worship no one else but God. Uh, but uh, positively, we are told who to worship or whom to worship. So I remi uh, remind you that the, the, the way we understand these, the hermeneutics, the, the, the way that we understand the commandments is if something is, is negated, then the opposite of that, the positive, is, is commanded. Uh, likewise, in the second commandment here, it's a negative commandment. It's a negative commandment, and it tells, it tells us how not to worship. We are not to worship by making any likeness of anything in heaven above, earth below, or in the sea beneath. Okay. How not to worship is a negative commandment. And, uh, but positively, if you turn that around, we are taught how to worship. Now, a negative commandments in the moral law, uh, yeah, a closer examination of the negative commandments, a negative commandment says you are never to break this commandment. Positive commandments such as remember the, the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor your father and mother, they're stated positively. Those are positive uh, commandments, not positive law, positive commandments. Those are to be kept always when providentially required, when providentially right to do so. All right. Uh, we don't honor our parents when they, told, when they tell us to sin, for instance. It's not an absolute uh, commandment. However, uh, not to worship uh, false, uh, false gods? Yeah, that's, that's an absolute commandment. And there are, there are no, there are no exceptions. Uh, neither are there exceptions about the manner, the manner in which the second commandment is uh, to be kept. Now, in, in this respect, the modern church, the modern evangelical church, is much to be blamed. It's much, much to be criticized and even condemned uh, because they will, in the, in the name of making their churches uh, seeker-friendly or more open to uh, the likes uh, and the, the, the society's uh, mores, they will do much to, uh, they, will, they will do very much to lessen uh, the uh, the commandments, the order, the quality of the service, and, and making it less word-rich, less spiritual, and more fleshly, more, uh, more, more to the taste of men. But we have, to, uh, we have to understand that even when things are not sin in themselves, 
Even when things are not sinful, such as saxophones are not sinful, or guitars are not sinful, drum sets are not sinful, uh, choirs are not sinful in themselves. Nevertheless, if we transgress what God wants, then that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God, is an abomination to God. So we have to be very careful with the second commandment. Because if we pollute the very stream that's, to, that's feeding us the crystal clear water for our souls, if we, if we pr- uh, pr- pollute the very source of, of hydration for, that, that cleanses our, our spiritual body, uh, then we will be polluted all the day, all the week. When we drink in polluted, corrupted uh, water from corrupted service, we will be weakened for the entire service. And I have to say, this is one of the greatest reasons why America is in such bad shape, because the churches are in bad shape, and because the churches will not heed God and worship. And is there anything new under the sun? This is the maximum fault of the children of Israel. And it seems like the, the New Testament church, Christ's church today, is not paying heed to the example set before us with, with, uh, with Israel. Anyway, that way, uh, that's my introduction. The teaching here is as follows. The second commandment prohibits the use of images, and any other manner not specified in the Word of God. Obeying this commandment brings blessing. There's a promise. How do, you, how do you see the promise? Well, by the flip of the negative. Because the negative is disobeying the commandments brings judgment and wrath. The statement is, I'm warning you, there is, there is, there's, a, there's a penalty for not heeding this commandment. Well, where there's a penalty implied in the commandment of the moral law, you flip it, Unto the positive and say there's blessing in keeping it. All right. So, God, in my first point, God must be worshiped only in the manner in which He commands in His Word. And this is the teaching of the second commandment. As I mentioned, it's a, second, it's a negative commandment. You must never worship God in any way that He condemns. That is to say, uh, not even your private worship, but especially in the public worship, it's an, it's an abomination. The, 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 the commandment really is in two parts. This commandment condemns the making of any likeness of God. Uh, a lot of evangelicals today don't understand that. They say, well, we're going to make, the, we're gonna make a likeness of, of Jesus, but we certainly aren't going to worship it. But we will allow it in the context to be placed on the walls in the sanctuary. But you've already transgressed because the first part of the commandment is not to make any image of God. Why? Because God is a spirit. How can you make a spirit? Or what material do you make a spirit? God himself is the one that you worship. And the God is Trinity. How are you going to illustrate that? With a triangle? Yeah. You're going to illustrate God with a triangle. Right? Isosceles? It doesn't stand to to reason. Idols are a lie. And that's why the psalm that we just sang, Psalm 115, speaks very, very ably about that. Look. They have mouths, they don't speak. They have ears, they don't listen. Do they answer prayer? Can they help you in any way? They're they're the work of human hands. Whereas God is is self-existent. They have hands, they don't feel, they can't do any work, they can't walk with their feet. They don't make a sound in their mouth. And here's here's the rub, those who make them will become like them. So do all who trust in them. In other words, they won't become as the idol physically, they will become as the idol spiritually dead. It's a deadening thing. If you want to deaden your spiritual life, uh, 
Just hang on to your idolatry. Habakkuk 2, 18, what profit is there in an idol? Well, hold on a second. You can teach children what Jesus looked like. You can, if the illiterate, if the church is illiterate, you can tell them the procession of the cross, show Jesus' passion. There's a didactic element to making worship images at church. No. The Spirit says, what profit is there in an idol? In an idol? When its makers has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. If idols could speak, they would be good teachers. They would be useful for our didactic purposes. But they don't teach a thing, says Habakkuk. They're speechless. Uh, not only is the making of, the, uh, uh, of God's likeness is condemned, but the worship of God using any likeness, anywhere, anywhere in the vicinity of worship, is especially dangerous. Um, not only the worship of the image per se, but the worship of the true God through the, any visible representation. Now, I, again, most moderns are, are not, are very sophisticated, and we, uh, they realize, most educated people, that God is not that thing in front of them. However, uh, all pagan societies and magic uh, uh, do channel God or a deity or some kind of spirit through the object that is made. Uh, the worship of the true God through as a means. And that's what we're talking about in the second commandment. We're, in the second commandment we're talking about not who or whom to worship, but uh, through whom. Uh, th uh, the worship of God through the means. Any visible representation. Okay. And, and this again I'll mention it probably in my notes. It's, it's because God engenders faith uh, in His worshipers. He wants to cultivate faith. And faith is not of the substance of things seen. All right? Um, and it's very interesting to note, I think if you read John Owen and his biblical theology, there have no, been no worship of images, no images of God in the earliest histories of the world. Up until, the, up until uh, Noah's... Uh, flood, uh, the deluge. No one worshiped God uh, or, or, or an image of God. The reason is that uh, the earliest ages, men were about five men removed, not five generations, but five men removed from the very creation. And the, the, the oral history was such that everyone knew that God was not corporeal, that he was a spirit. And so, uh, it, w it would have been obvious that uh, that's, that's a fault. That's just, that's just, that just doesn't uh, hold. No worship of in images in the earliest histories of the Bible. Now, making and worshiping of images is, uh, is at the head or uh, at the summary of this, uh, of this type of category of sin uh, because it is the worst sin in its category, okay? The second commandment, as it's stated, is a summary of types of this sin. Uh, so it's the worst, it's the, the, it's the extreme of a type of sin where we worship God by, by illicit means, okay? Now the sins in the second commandment are treated in our West, uh, Mr. Larger Catechism, and you'll have it there uh, in your bulletin. I'll just uh, read a very quick reading without elaborating. I think what I'm going to do next week is go over some of the biblical examples and footnotes so that you'll see how uh, this, is, this is brought out in case studies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, the sin forbidden in the, in the second commandment, all devising, counseling, commanding, and using 
anyways, approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself, tolerating a false religion, the making of any representation of God, of all or any of the three persons, either inwardly or in our mind, or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness or any creature whatsoever. Uh, uh, let me just halt there in our minds. Just be very careful. Just be very careful not to make any, any detailed or precise images in your mind. I know that when we read, especially the book of, of uh, the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, you have enough, enough suggesting um, the Lord Jesus with flaming eyes and white robes and stuff like that. You'll notice that the detail there is not specific enough so you can, you know, break this commandment. Uh, but, uh, but then just be careful not to linger before that image too long because that, that does not contain, that is not a representation of the whole God that you are to keep before you, um, even in your imaginations. All worshiping of that image or of God in it or by it, the making of any representation of feigned, uh, feigned deities. Now, that, uh, again, we're, we've got a lot of movies now that are... <laughs> that are representing Thor's, you know, look, it's in a comic strip. Uh, but those are, those are not to be brought forth. Now, now those very movies that have become popular for children are being taken seriously, and there's a revival of Norse myth, uh, gods and North, Norse mythology, I'm told, in various parts of the world. I'm told by Pablo, my, our, my, our friend Pablo Martinez, that there's a revival uh, of these Norse gods in Chile, of all things. Again, southern Chile is a, you know, is a cooler climate. Um, all worship of them or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices. Uh, I, I will mention the cross. If people, when they see a cross, oh, this is a holy place. If they're wearing a cross, they feel like they're protected. If I was your Roman Catholic and you wore a scapula, uh, that's an emblem, uh, a device that if you die, uh, that the Lord will receive you and pardon uh, your venial sins and you, you are guaranteed a spot in purgatory, things like that. Corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, as to say, deliberately not uh, reading the word, deliberately not explaining or preaching the word uh, when ha occasion has you. Uh, giving over the pulpit to a celebrity, or I've seen it done, even a governor. I it was in a church, and it was, it was a Presbyterian church where the pulpit was handed over to uh, the lieutenant governor of that state where he made a, a fine political speech. Uh, whether invented and taken up of ourselves or received by tradition. Here's, here's the problem. We look around and say, well, this was done in the Middle Ages. It, for, for 600 years, we had Pado communion uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, that's not an argument for anything. What does the scripture say? All right. Though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, well, we didn't mean to offend. We, we don't, no, no, no. I love God. It's not our intention to displease God. Why, why, are, you, why are you prohibiting this? Or any pretense whatsoever. Simony, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship. Uh, again, if, if the church can meet for a regular order of worship, it should. Because uh, we should give God our best worship. And I think you can make an argument that if you have 
the means and the resources if you have the talent. If, you, if everything is in place, you are morally committed to give God the best worship. And to substitute some other worship uh, or some, you know, part of worship such as a mere singing or a mere prayer uh, where the Lord could have been worshiped uh, and, uh, more purely and more uh, and, and, you know, in a stronger and, and better way, I think, uh, speaks, uh, speaks of sin. Opposing the worship, and some people don't, don't like changes that have been made in worship, and they will uh, they'll, they'll remonstrate. I'm not going to that. I, I don't like the changes that they made in that. But the changes were more biblical. But they just don't like them. So they will stop. And that's a breach of the second commandment. Uh, as, as is any despising or neglecting of the ordinances which are to be diligently pursued, the means of grace. And you have my last writing uh, from, from Tuesday on, in the Covenant Weekly. All right. I labored long on that one. Uh, images of Jesus. What about images of Jesus? Do, do we lack any images of Jesus? I mean, look, look around you. How many people are here? About 40 or 30? We got 30 or 40 images of Jesus. Jesus was a man. We got plenty of images of Jesus. To look, look to your neighbor who's in the, uh, the image of God. God has given his neighbors in his image. That's enough. Besides, the God-man is impossible to, dep- to depict. And at least one divine that I've read here this week argues that we don't, argue, we don't worship Jesus the man. We worship the, div- the divinity, the God-man Jesus. And so the making of a representation of his humanity is of no value to us at all. Besides, it's explicitly breaking the second commandment. All right? Jesus is represented in the, in the, in, after his resurrection and uh, in the book of Acts and uh, in the book of the Apocalypse is glorified and really is inexpressible because uh, what is presented there, if you follow the hermeneutic of chapter 1 of Revelation, those are images and those are types. It's symbolic. It's not really what he looks like. All right, all of the, all of the book of Revelation is typological and symbolic. And so what Jesus is is inexpressible in art. And if, and if, and if there's no other argument that could be made, look what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. It's a very strong, very, very strong uh, statement here regarding, regarding men, regarding this leader, that leader, Cephas, Apollos, Paul, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he mentions Jesus and he says, look, with regard to Jesus, we don't regard any man in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.16, this is a very extraordinary reading. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. <laughs> so what if he was a man? And so what is he, if he looked like your common Hebrew? It has nothing at all to do with the Christian's worship today. We regard no man according to the flesh. Why do then so many disobey? It's because they're carnal. They're fleshly. They worship by sight. And they worship by sense. As pagans do, that's all they can do because they're in the flesh. And not by faith. As Christians do. As those that are regenerated. As those that have spiritual eyes and spiritual senses. 
according to this commandment. Again, the commandment, the, the, the moral law written on, uh, in stone uh, governs outward as well as inward uh, truths and behaviors and thoughts. So the, the commandment is spiritual, says Paul. So that's the negative part. The second, the positively stated is that you must, you must worship God only in the manner which He prescribes in His Word. This we call in the Reformed circles the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. The only other kind of worship that you can give God is a mixed worship at best. And a mixed worship is where there are some elements that are uh, pleasing to God and acceptable to God that are called out by God Himself in His Bible, acceptable worship of Him, with some that, uh, that He has not called out. But if we mix it, then we become guilty of the opposite of the regular principle of worship. And the, there's a very strange word I'll, I'll, I'll deal with uh, perhaps in my writing this week. I'm not sure what we're going to do. But anyway, uh, it's called will worship. That, that's, that's a strange translation, but that's what the Greek word means. And I'll explain how we arrive at will worship. Uh, not here. But it is condemned. Will worship is condemned. God will not receive it. Okay? Now, uh, what in particular does God look for in His worship then? That's why we look for uh, Westminster Larger Catechism number 108. What, what are the things that God does spell out in His Word uh, as far as uh, worship activities? Well, the duties required in the Second Commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has instituted in His Word, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the Word, the administration and the receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God, vowing unto Him, as also the disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one, uh, according to each one, one's, excuse me, according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. Now, that's what God is looking for in worship. And if you can find a church that is keeping these things in mind and, and, and striving hard to please, to please the Lord and its leadership are keeping these things before the people because they are the ones, according to their place and calling, the authorities of the church are the ones that are to be either removing the, the, the issues that, uh, that are inappropriate or instilling others in their appropriate time, uh, then you, you really have very little reason to leave a church. I, I mean, all of this worship is, is acceptable to God. And unless there is some horrendous character fault in the leadership, then you do very badly to leave a church, especially if you leave a church for a church where all of this is absent. Most of this is absent. A great deal is corrupted. You are judging men in the flesh. You are not judging God's will in the spirit. So, principally, you as, as a congregation, you are to receive God's instructions regarding His worship. Uh, you are to read or you are to hear all that He has for us. You are to believe it. You are to cherish it. You are to reverence it. Okay? So, receiving. And then, to, 
and then the other thing that you are to do is you are to observe. That is to say, participate. You are not passive, you are active. And the worship of God is, uh, is instructed in the second commandment. The second commandment, uh, do not make a likeness, do not do this. The second commandment then is not about doing nothing. If you come in here and you fall asleep, you're not keeping the second commandment at all, even though you're doing nothing. If you come in here and fall asleep, you're breaking the second commandment because you're not engaging means. And the second commandment is about engaging means. Sin, uh, you are not to, uh, you are to, uh, excuse me, you are to observe, that is to say, participate in the worship of God as instructed. And you sin by omission if biblical worship and ordinances are omitted. Again, uh, because these are positive, uh, these are positive law. Uh, they are omitted uh, only, uh, that is to say, upon occasion as providence would lead. We don't always have to have vows. We don't always, uh, we don't always call for fasting. We don't always call for the Lord's Supper. Um, some may differ. Okay, we can, we can talk about that. Uh, but if, 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 the, if the biblical worship is, is omitting sacraments altogether, the church never ever uh, at the public worship sh- uh, shows the Lord's seals which are governed by the Word and sanctified by the Word preached, then people don't have any idea of how these things are sacred in the, uh, to begin with, know that God should be worshipped in and through the sacraments, okay? And so we sin by omission that these elements are, are missing. Uh, so you are to receive, you are to observe, that is to say participate, and you are to keep against profaning uh, the worship of God. And I, I will say that even the laity has, has a duty to be watchful and to ask the leadership, what, what are we doing here? We, what, why are we lighting candles? What, what is this wreath here doing uh, at the first part of December? What is, what is that? Okay. We are to keep it pure and entire, not by adding anything to his instruction, not by uh, omitting, as providence occasions, anything from his worship. Violations, question, uh, already uh, read uh, Westminster Larger Catechism 109. Did I not? Yeah, I did. So you have that. Now, God gives you very good reasons why you should keep this commandment. He gives you these reasons... Here, he says, I, for, for I, the Lord your God, am a, and a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of them who love me and keep my commandments. Okay? This is, this is a statement offering blessings and cursing as all commandments have this element of blessing those who keep them and cursing. But when, when the Lord injects more words, it's because we are especially tempted to put the commandment aside. The second uh, commandment adds an explanation. We're very likely, very, very likely to neglect it. And the reason he says, of course, is that God is your sovereign king uh, and that God is your redeemer. I've already explained this before. Very much like the preface of the Ten Commandments. And God has zeal or jealousy for his own worship. I'll quote uh, Exodus 34, uh, because th- this co- comes up immediately after, immediately after uh, Israel receives the two tablets, Moses descends. What is the camp of Israel doing but breaking the second commandment? Worshiping Jehovah God, sure, 
but in a means that God has not specified. And there, there, there's where Moses throws down the two tablets. Uh, but uh, as far as, as his zeal or his, his jealousy and worship, uh, Exodus 34, verses 13 and 14, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. He so identifies himself as a jealous God that he says, my name is Jealous. <laughs> it's, part of his, it's part of his essence is to, as it were, uh, protect his own glory because inasmuch as God gives of his glory to all creatures, all other creatures are less glorify, uh, glorious if he is presented, if he God himself is dulled in his glory. God has zeal and jealousy for his own worship and he visits the iniquities of the father of the third and fourth generation. Again, authorities, uh, families, uh, fam uh, families have authority in the father and the mother. You do not act as a private person in your house. When you sin in this regard, you are acting as a more public person and you are affecting the generation not just before you, but their second generation, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, maybe your great-great-grandchildren. And this explains why the world is largely pagan. Because uh, at one time, uh, the, the, the family, the, the first family, all knew the Lord. The lines of men separated Cain and Abel. Again, after uh, the Noah's flood, the lines of, of men separated Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and so on and so on. Men keep sinning grievously against God and forfeiting their uh, son's heritage, Vis visiting the iniquity of the father to the third and fourth generation. Rewards for those who fear the Lord, showing abundant mercy to thousands. Again, the Lord underscores that he is indeed a loving, loving God. Now, men find it extremely difficult to believe that God will not accept a sincere offer from their own hands and, and that they might worship him freely as, as, they, as they want, apart from this commandment. Calvin, uh, he, he, he poured a lot of ink in trying to convince, convince people that no, you're not at liberty. Bishops are not at liberty to declare how to worship God. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, not, that's not a part of what God has allowed. Ministers and elders then are tempted to compromise because, peop because people are flesh. If they're not converted and if they're not being led by the Holy Spirit and drawn to Christ, they, they will not... The, the, the carnal mind is... is is set against the God. And all these things are foolishness. And, and so when you compromise, you, you begin uh, offering entertainment by way of uh, fabulous musicians, stupendously sensual music with a lot of uh, jazz coloring. There's a lot of ninth chords, very beautiful. You know, of course, aesthetics, very well-pleasing. But save it for Friday night with a, with a glass of whiskey or, or, or something. But don't bring it into the God's house and call it worship. It's sensual. It's beautiful. The musicians are lovely. The music would be great in New Orleans. But it has no place in the worship of God. Go enjoy those things. You, you're free to enjoy those things Monday through Saturday. God doesn't condemn you for any of that. 
but he just doesn't want it here because otherwise you're going to be manipulated like Finney, Charles Finney manipulated Thou. He was, he was a master manipulator. And hordes followed him until they petered out because they didn't have any spiritual strength. And then the gospel comes into ill repute and, and thinks that, uh, and, and everyone begins to think that Christianity is are full of charlatans. There's no substance to it because there's no power in it. That's what we have in their churches today. There is really no greater incentive for you to worship God according to His Word than what God has spoken here. Okay? You're not to provoke God with images, and you're not to provoke God with offering anything beyond what God has called for in His worship. And I would say again, between uh, the call to worship uh, and, uh, and the benediction. Now, I've given plenty of application here. Uh, and I, I will conclude here so we can have time for the Lord. So I don't want to belabor this. We, got, we have another Sunday we can co- cover this, and I want to cover specific cases. It's, it, it's exceedingly difficult, my friends. It's exceedingly difficult. Very few of us will have the imagination to take this commandment and tease it out in its almost ramifications unless we see two things, case histories in, in Scripture and a living church practicing these things. It's the, it's the Spirit of God in the living church that resonates with love to God and where the, the Word of God shines brightly and powerfully and is changing the lives powerfully in the church. That's when people are beginning to say there's something different going on and I think it has something to do with how they respect God and giving Him the worship that, he, that He's pleased to receive. And so I need to spend time in those two, in those two areas, giving you biblical examples. And, uh, well, the second point is I, I wish I could all, if I were wealthy, I'd put you in a jet, and I'd, all, I'd fly this whole church to the strongest church in all of North America that can show you how this is to be done, because it's glorious. Because it's glorious. All right. We do, we do, our, we do well here, I think, and our churches and our elders are to be commended. Uh, but uh, there's always room for employment, Im- improvement because we are sinners and we all need to be learning. So let me conclude that the second commandment prohibits the use of images or any other manner not specified in the Word of God. Obeying this commandment brings blessing. Disobeying this commandment brings judgment and it brings wrath. And not only to yourself, but to whole lines of families. Now, in pleasing God, we are doing a very simple thing. He has given us a positive law. Again, not a positive commandment, but a positive law in the Lord's Supper. And this is a very easy thing to do. And the elements are quite simple. We, we're, we're taking bread, a very common element, and we are taking wine, another, a very common element. And by the word and promise of Christ, we ask Him, we ask in prayer, and He will do it, to consecrate these things for a special use, that these things might be for us, spiritually, the very presence of Christ, whom we receive in the preached word, and whom we receive at the table. Again, we can't make this table a superstitious uh, entity. Uh, there are very well-meaning Protestant 
that, that divorce the preaching of the word from the word that sanctifies the supper. As if the supper had a freestanding of its own. The supper is always under the preached word, not beside it. That's why we put the table here. It's under the word. Because the word governs all. It's sanctified by the word and by thanksgiving. And so we honor God in an ordinance that he's instituted, and it's highly pleasing for God uh, to receive this kind of worship. We please, well, we, we benefit ourselves. We receive from Christ here, but Christ also is glorified. And by the way, you saints, when you receive the table, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so you are, you are uh, institutionalized here as a prophetic commonwealth, and you are telling not just yourselves, you're telling principalities and powers and angels that are observing. Yes, they are observing in this very auditorium. They are observing. Uh, they can't read our hearts, but they can read our behavior. And you are saying, we are witnesses. We are witnesses. Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And we worship. Will the elders please come forward? If you're visiting and if you have been baptized uh, and uh, can point to uh, a church in the recent past that uh, had a, a government under Christ and shepherds that were overseeing you, I want to say, I want to call that membership, but that's a word that's not used in some church denominations, all right? But uh, if you're a believer, have been baptized and can point that you're under authority in the Lord, then. This table's for you. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's a table for all who sincerely love the Lord. And it's a table who, uh, for those who uh, have put, set aside guile, have set aside envy and quarreling, uh, strife in the church. Uh, for those who want peace, even though peace may be elu uh, elusive, peace escapes. But we want to seek peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you know that that's your case upon examination, then this table is for you. And the promise is that Christ will be here to minister to you. It's not me. I'm not ministering to you. It's the Lord himself. Let me read the words of institution. Paul says to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord Jesus what I also delivered to you, Corinthians. But the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread again, he had given thanks. He broke the bread and said, This is my body which is given for you. And do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
this, is a, this would be a violation of the second commandment. We're partaking uh, not of good faith. We are injuring conscience. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is to say either superstitiously uh, or blasphemously or presumptuously, uh, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. It's the safest position is to humbly say, Lord, I, I'm guilty of everything you want to throw at me. Please forgive me. I, I need grace. I need Christ. That's the safe position for the Christian. When you're, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He simply will not have us to be condemned. He wants this to be a saving and helpful event. He wants you to come. Don't let that frightening uh, fencing of the table scare you off. If you, if you need this and believe the Lord Jesus, this is for you. Let's pray. Now, Lord, do consecrate this bread and this wine to your glory in this, in this sacrament. And may it be for us a source of great happiness and strength. A great, uh, may, may it increase our vision of you who have given us a good ordinances and fair, uh, fair instruction in every way. That, that we might enjoy you, that we might uh, recline at your bosom, that we might really, truly sense that you are our friend. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.